Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 3, son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts, this is God speaking, and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Therefore speak to them and say to them, thus says the Lord God, any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols. Let's pray. What a warning, Lord, that if we put things before you, you might actually give us what we want. And I pray that we would heed the warning of this prophet, that you would be our authority, you would be our desire, and that you would be our direction. Now as we study your word, prepare our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Maybe you want to go ahead and have a seat um, and take out your journal. If you don't have a journal, you can pick one up. These are our First Samuel series journals, Principles for Life. Open it up to your next page, and you can write on the principle for life, be careful what you ask for. We're going to be in First Samuel chapter 8 with the life principle. Be careful what you ask for. Now, as you're turning to First Samuel 8, I pray that you received one of these. This is a prayer card for our seniors. And so we want you to take one. You, well, you might say, well, I don't know that senior. Good, then God gets all the glory. You take this into your prayer closet and you get to pray. And so my hope for you is that uh, you will take this along because we really believe in prayer as we send out our seniors into their world. Uh, so I ask you to write down the life principle, be careful what you ask for. I don't know if you know this about me, but I wanted to be a doctor my whole life. Never did I want to be a pastor. I thought the pastor writ was too hard. I wanted to be a doctor my whole life. I wanted to go to medical school. And so I prepared. I was a pre-med major. I took a master's in virology. I was on my way to medical school. In fact, I was a swimmer in high school and college, so that paid for most of my school. But I wanted to get into this idea of the hospital and the whole deal. So I also became a paramedic. And so I would uh, work as a paramedic. And I realized very quickly into my paramedic uh, period of life um, that I was not the guy that could show up on the scene. Um, I, I, I needed to know what was in front of me. I, did, I, I remember the first, nothing prepares you for the first moment when you see, and I'll, I'll, I will spare you the details, um, but my stomach didn't do great, right? It just wasn't one of those things that I could walk into. So I decided I'm not going to be the guy that goes to the emergency. I'm going to be in the emergency room and do triage and I will receive the emergency. Then I can pick what I wanted to be a part of and what I didn't want to be a part of. Well, one of the things that I couldn't do was head injuries. I don't know what it was. Anything from here above, I couldn't do. Here below, I'm good. Here above, I can't. But the doctor calls me into one of the triage rooms and he's stitching up this lady, older lady, she's probably like 80 some years old, and she's got a laceration and it needs to get stitched up. Now you're going, Chet, please don't. No, this is how I'm feeling as well. So I am helping the doctor. Remember, I can't do head injuries, right? So I walk in, I see what it is, but I'm going to be the tough guy and make it through. Well, all of a sudden, I feel the blood going from here down to my feet. Ever had that experience? It's like, you know you're going, right? So he begins the process. I look at him, he looks at me, and he goes, 
you need to leave. So I go, okay. <laughs> and I'm walking out and I'm holding the gurney. I don't take a step and I look back at him, should never have done that. I look back at him, I passed out right over the woman. I mean, I just fell right over on the gurney. I mean, it just passed right out. I woke up to the doctor with smelling salts doing this thing like this. Wake up, wake up, I wake up like this. And he looks at me and goes, I don't think you should be a doctor. <laughs> but I wanted to be one my whole life. And now I've got a professional authority saying, maybe warning me, guiding me, that maybe this is not what you should be doing with your life. But it's amazing to me how we oftentimes ignore the guidelines and the warnings before us. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. It's those um, drug commercials, those medicine commercials. You know what I'm talking about. If you take this medicine, it will fix you. And then there's this dancing woman, right? She's dancing, there's music. And then this guy comes on, side effects, death, <laughs> kidney disease, heart attack. And the woman's dancing and she's dancing. And then at the end of all the side effects, it goes, she says, it's changed my life. Well, you're not dead yet, but you're about to, according to all this. But we just, we want to take the drug. Or what about the cigarette cartridge or the cigarette carton? On there, a warning of the Surgeon General, this will cause lung cancer. These warnings are there to tell us of the consequences of maybe making a wrong decision to protect us so that we can actually have an abundant life. Yet sometimes we're so desperate, we want what we want, that we'll ignore even the Surgeon General's warning. So addicted to the nicotine, we don't even see the warning. Wanting to be relieved of whatever it is, we don't even care about the side effects. We want what we want, and believe it's the best thing for us, no matter how harmful it might be. I've asked myself, why do I do that? Why do I just plow right through the roadblocks? Is it because I think that I'm the exception to the rule? That whatever the side effects are, it won't happen to me? Am I thinking to myself, oh, I'll just take it for a little while. I'll just do a little bit of it. I've got this under control. We have a ministry called 2020 who many people thought that their addiction was under control. And they sit and they listen to Jeff and Beverly minister to them to realize, wow, maybe it's controlling me. Maybe it's the thought of, well, those things happen to other people. It'll never happen to me. That's exactly where the Israelis are. They believe those lies. It's 1 Samuel chapter 8. Would you look at verse 1? When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. Beautiful, godly names. They were judges in Beersheba. Now, they weren't in Ramah where he was. They were in Beersheba. Yet his sons, they didn't walk in his ways, but they turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of the Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you're old, and your sons don't walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. Samuel prayed. 
And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me from being king over them. In other words, they've set an idol in front of them, and I'm going to answer them according to their idols. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they're also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. The Israelis are a little desperate. The Philistines are at their door. They want to take property back. We've studied that. Chapter 4, 5, 6, and 7. We know that the Philistines want them. But not only that. You can read later in 1 Samuel chapter 12, we discover the reason why they wanted a king. Because not only were the Philistines on their door, 1 Kings chapter, excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 12 verse 12 says the reason they wanted a king because the Ammonites were also at their door. They are about to go to war. Samuel, for about 20 some years, he's brought the nation together. And under his leadership, these 12 tribes are no longer a motley crew. He is guiding and leading them spiritually. But now, now he's old. And his sons, his sons aren't like him at all. Samuel, who faithfully followed God all of his days, listen to what the New King James Version says of Samuel's sons. They've turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Well, if you're a parent, you know exactly how this feels. This had to break Samuel's heart. Because if the elders knew, let me assure you, Samuel knew. He knew, he knew what his boys were doing. And here's Samuel. He, he's followed the Lord faithfully his whole life. He's named his kids Joel and Abijah, following after God, the father heart of God. He, he names them godly names. And he's raising his children in the way of the Lord. But his children, they're not even living in Ramah. No, sin has isolated them. They're living in Beersheba and they've rejected God's way. Well, John, when he was writing a letter in 3 John verse 4, he said this. There's no greater joy than when your children walk in truth. But can I say this? There's a flip side to that truth. There's no greater sorrow than when they don't. Gang, I'm a parent of nine. I know this pain. Now, parent might be asking now, then what's the point? Why am I raising my children? Why am I putting all this effort into bringing my kids to Coast Hills Church and raising them in the fear and admonition of the Lord if they're going to maybe just be like Samuel's kid who was so faithful, but yet his children are rejecting God? Parent, let me encourage you. You don't know the end of the story. We don't know the end of the story of Joel and Abijah. It's not written for us to see. And I believe we have to trust God at his word. And here's what his word said. You can write it down, parent. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Train a child in the way they should go. And in the end, or when they are old, they will not depart from it. That's a promise from God. 
And are you willing to hold on to that promise, parent, and be faithful like Samuel to raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, trusting the promise, not the experience, but trusting God at his word? Let me give you some hope. God is a perfect father, and he created a perfect garden. And he put two kids in this garden, Adam and Eve. And in the midst of perfection, they messed up. And I know you've been to every baseball game. And I know you've been to every soccer game. And I know you've been the every coach of every little league. And you've been at church. All, and you have just been so faithful. And you've tried to create this perfect experience. But can I give you a truth about children? Even in perfection, they mess up. And just like God, as a parent, our plan should not be, oh, I can't believe this. Our plan should be the plan of redemption. How do we redeem this? How do we make this right? How do we bring unity? How do we come together? That's the heart of God, redemption. Samuel, he's feeling this grief. He's feeling this, this grief from his sons, just like God the Father is feeling the grief of the rejection of the Israelites for him as their father. He's feeling this so deep within him, he understands the grief of God, and he goes to God in prayer, understanding this, and God says, they've not rejected you, they're rejecting me. Do you know our sin grieves the heart of God? And the elders... The elders are looking at this experience and they remember Eli. They remember Eli's sons. They don't want to go back to that experience. They don't want to return there. So they know in Deuteronomy chapter 17, God has promised us a king. They know that truth, that one day there's going to be a king. That's what Moses said in Deuteronomy 17. You can look it up, Deuteronomy 17, 14. They know this truth, but they're not willing to wait on God's timing. They want their king now. They're looking at the situation. They're looking at the circumstance, being led by fear and not faith. We want a king, and David, God's choice, is just a generation away. They want to defeat the, the Philistines. And they're looking at the Philistines who've got five princes. They've got an oligarchy. It's not a kingdom. No, it's an oligarchy of five different provinces with five different princes. And they're looking at all of the division. They're looking at all of the problem of that saying, we don't want that. We don't want 12 princes. No, we want one king to lead 12 tribes. That's how we're going to defeat the Philistines. Unfortunately, they didn't have any concern that God was their ruler. They didn't have any concern that God was reigning by faith. No, they're making the decision by fear. And the leaders, the elders, come to Samuel and say, we want a king. Coast Hills, this is the downfall of any church. The downfall of any church when leaders are ruled by situation and circumstance and not pressing forward by faith. Warren Wearsby, I'm going to put it on the screen. He says it best. It's a quote. Whenever leadership in a church decays spiritually, that church becomes more like the world and uses the world's methods and resources to try to do God's work. And that's exactly what the elders are doing. We want what the world has. They've got kings. We want a king. We want to do this like the world. And we want a king. 
But thankfully, our faith protects us. Thankfully, like that doctor who professionally warned me, maybe you shouldn't be a doctor, our faith provides us protection from the problems of practical thinking instead of providential planning. Our faith? Well, there's three things we're going to see in the scripture. The first one is found right with Samuel and his whole kid, his kids. This whole national crisis could have been avoided if Samuel's sons would have chosen to walk in his ways. And there's our first warning. Our first warning of being careful of what we ask for is be guided by the protection of godly parents. Our faith affords us godly parents. Our faith directs parents to teach our children the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Would you please welcome Timon Lowe to the stage. Hey guys, um, I'm Timon. I attend junior high here at Coast Hills going into high school next year. Um, and today... I'm going to be talking about children obeying their parents. Um, I just want to start off with, I'm not perfect. I've made mistakes. My parents know this. My siblings know this. And some of you probably even know this. But what I'm here to tell you is, is that I've noticed is that when I do obey my parents, things normally end up going well for you. They'll probably reward you, maybe give you a little bit of money. I don't know. I'm going to go to lunch. Something like that. But sadly, Samuel's kids, as a recap, they did not obey him. They were, they perverted justice, as it said, as Chetlo said, um, they were judges in Beersheba, um, and, <laughs> uh, and they turned aside after gain and they took bribes and they're not, that's not great things. You know, they didn't listen to Samuel. Um, now obviously that's not walking in Samuel's ways, but so much so that we see the elders almost attacking Samuel verbally, saying that he's old, your kids are trash, and you know they're not leading right. This just isn't good. And they take that action and they try to use it as a way to get a king. Now that sounds a little childish. So what I'm going to do today is I'm relating kids to the whole nation of Israel. God has always provided for Israel. All the way back from Egypt when they escaped and when they were slaves there. God, God let them escape and he showed them a way to get out, but yet they still worshiped other gods and they did not worship the one true God. God himself in verse eight says uh, of chapter eight, according to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, there you go right there, even to this day forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are also doing to you. They're forsaking Samuel. They're forsaking God. They rebelled against Samuel. And they're rebelling against God. Now you might ask, how is this rebellion? Well, God is supposed to be their king. Not some man. They have to wait. David is a generation away. But they don't. Does this sound like anyone you know? How many times can you recall as a kid, or even right now if you are one like me, that your parents have provided for you? This could mean them driving you somewhere, making you food, giving you money. And yet, how many times can you remember disobeying them? Talking back going behind their back, saying things that, about them that is just not true. You see, just like our parents, Samuel warns the, the nation of Israel. He lists all these bad things that a king could do. He'll take your land. He'll take your, your daughters, your sons. And all these things, just like our parents, are warning us in this world. 
But even after this, after this list, they still wanted a king. Now, how many times can you remember when your parents repeatedly told you not to do something and then you did it and you realized it was a stupid mistake? Well, after so many times, so many times of Samuel telling them it was not a good idea for a king, he lets them have a king. Why? Well, because God is a gentleman and he, he wants to do what, what we think is best, but he doesn't want to do that. He wants to do what his, what is best for him. Sorry. Um, but I can't go on to tell you all that this king does because I don't want to spoil, you know, first, first Samuel chapter nine and on. But Israel has its highs with this king, but it definitely has its lows. They're going to go through trial and tribulation and they're going to be swept up by this world. But from that, from there, it's the greatest story of forgiveness. And that story of forgiveness is Jesus. You see, he came to seek and save the lost. He came to find his children and bring them back to him. He is our father, and you don't need any other king to replace him. So remember, children, obey your parents, because it will go well for you. Parents, what a privilege we have to know the word and invest it into our kids. If we're going to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, then we've got to know the Lord to invest him into our kids. That's the hope we have as godly parents to follow and have our children follow and give our children to the Lord. What a wonderful privilege it is. And it puts a burden on us to know the heart of God and give the the Lord to our kids. But there's something else that happens here. You see, Samuel, he goes to God in prayer. He's discouraged. He feels rejected. But he goes to God in prayer. And it's our second principle. Be careful what you ask for. Well, the way that we can be guided is by the providential peace that comes through prayer. Prayer is another guideline for us. It's another check and balance for us. It's another way for us to be guided. The people of Israel, they didn't want to be guided. The people of Israel, they go to Samuel. They don't go to God. 25 years have now passed. And well, they backslided in their faith. And where they were calling on God in chapter 7, now in chapter 8, they're going straight to Samuel without going to God at all saying, hey, you need to fix this and we're going to go the way of the world. There's nothing more important in prayer to protect us from some of the decisions in life. Would you please welcome Danny? Danny is going to come and speak about the importance of prayer. Now, hi guys. Um, I'm Danny Huffman, and some of you know my dad. He's spoken a couple times. He's a great guy. But um, I want to tell you guys how important prayer is because prayer is so important. And throughout the Bible, we find God speaking multiple times about how important prayer is and praying continually. And 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us to pray without ceasing. We need to be praying all of the time and frequently throughout the day. And we should pray about everything that God puts on our heart to pray about. And when we need strength, 1 Chronicles 16.11 reminds us to seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. If we are feeling down, we need pray God about it. If life is good, thank God for it. If we need guidance, ask God for it. And Ephesians 6, 18 
says to pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. But most of us, we don't do this. And especially me. And when I first got saved, I felt so bold and so empowered. But I, so I felt like I could talk to any of my friends about God and tell them the truth about why I am who I am and why I'm not who I used to be. I didn't think I needed to ask God for help because I've always been pretty vocal about my beliefs and I'm not shy about it. And on top of that, I heard that like the power of the Holy Spirit comes into you when you're saved. So I was like, awesome, I could get a boost with that whenever I need confidence or courage. But I ended up failing. Instead of giving God the glory for saving me from my sin and my past life, I made up dumb excuses about why I've changed to who I am now. And then later at night, I would lay in bed and think of, and like replay the day's events. And I'd be like, oh, why would I do this? I would beat myself up over missing great opportunities to share the gospel with my friends. And I'd tell myself, all right, tomorrow I'm going to try harder. I'll try harder next time. But I lacked the courage I needed because I was too prideful to ask for God's help. And I didn't realize how weak I am without God and that I need to pray for strength, for guidance, and for forgiveness. Um, in chapter 4, the Israelites went straight into battle without thinking they needed God's help, just like I did. But after being defeated by the Philistines, they, needed, they knew they needed God to help them. But instead of asking God for guidance and forgiveness and for strength, they skipped that part. And they went straight into carrying the ark into battle and trying to harness God's power without actually asking him and having a relationship with him. Just like I did. I'm like, oh, I could just use the Holy Spirit. It's going to be awesome. And um, they did what seemed right in their own eyes. What, God, what they thought God wanted to do was actually not what God wanted them to do. And they ended up suffering tremendous loss because they assumed that they knew what God wanted. And Samuel, on the other hand, asked God for help and guidance before every decision he made. He truly prayed without ceasing. Before he took any action, we find him praying. When the people asked for a king, Samuel knew it was going to be a bad idea. But before responding, he prays. And Samuel, verse 6, says, But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So even though that Samuel knew that a king was a bad idea for them, like because God was supposed to be their king, not a man, but he still prayed to God for asking help before acting off of his own understanding and his own intuition that it wasn't right because God was supposed to be their king, not a man. And when the right thing to do seemed obvious, he still confirmed with the Lord. Had he not, he would have been acting outside of God's will probably. And he may have missed the opportunity to anoint the man who would become the rightful king of Israel and who the Messiah would eventually come through. And later in the chapter... Samuel prays to the Lord for guidance again. He knew that he was supposed to allow the people to have a king, but he still double-checked with God first. 
When he prayed to God and received guidance for what he should do, he created an opportunity for God to work through him and eventually anoint King David. And when we ask God for guidance, we can create an opportunity for him to work through us. God's given us godly parents to guide us. He's given us the peace that really comes through prayer, but he's also given us prophets, like Samuel. Prophets are those people in our lives that are spiritual authorities. They've walked the walk, they talk the talk, they're living what they've learned about God, and that's Samuel. Samuel is the spiritual authority. And our third, listen, be guided by the provision of prophets, spiritual authority in your lives. Take a look at verse 10. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and some to reap his harvest, to make his implements of war and the equipments of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He'll take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king whom you've had chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Now, if that's not a surgeon general's warning, I don't know what is. And here is Samuel, the spiritual authority in their life. He's walked the walk. He's learned and lived. He's talked the talk. This is the kind of person that we want to find to invest into us spiritually. Because if we don't, and we find someone else or something else, if we find someone or something else other than godly spiritual authority or God himself, you see what he's going to do. You see what it's going to do. You see what she may do. Take. And I emphasize the word over and over and over again that the king's going to take your property, going to take your prodigy, going to take your provisions. Because this is what happens when we establish another authority in our life other than God. So different from God. God doesn't take. No, he so loved the world that he gave. His, your best interest is in his heart. He wants to give you abundant life. He wants to give you eternal life. But this king, this choice, what they're asking for, he just wants to take. Because any other authority, they may appear to give, but that's not their goal. Their goal is to take. And when we place something else in authority in our life, it takes our time, our talent, our treasure, and possibly even our testimony. How many moms and dads have I sat with who gave their jobs their authority, and now they're saying to me, I wish I had more time. 
How many young people have I sat with who gave their relationship their authority and they lost their very being because it was taken from them? You see, I deal with this all the time. And see, they believe like the Israelis. They're gaining something. They didn't realize what was being taken from them. It was just the bait on the hook. Because what you may have gained temporarily by getting your authority, by getting your king, by getting that job that you wanted more than any other thing, you might be being taken from on the back end and lose time and lose treasure and lose even your testimony. See, the problem I've asked myself is because we think we come up with the right plan. And instead of trusting the good and pleasing, perfect plan of God, we like to trust ourselves. We like even to make ourselves the authority. We try to put matters in our own hand, doing it our way instead of God's way. We, we want to trust our own thoughts when his thoughts are higher. The end result, oh, we're going to see in chapter 9, 10, 11, it's going to be nothing but regret and remorse. And God says it. When you've asked for this king and I give you your idol, I give you the authority, don't come to me and say, wait a second, I don't know if I want this. Now, for most of us, it's never one big decision like this. For most of us, it's a thousand little decisions doing it our way. And we wonder later on in life, how did it end up this way? We wonder to ourselves, Where did it go wrong? And we try to pinpoint some major event when actually it was everyday decisions in which we made something else our authority other than God. It's like Niagara Falls, right? Take a look at this picture. Now we can look at this picture. We've been monitoring Niagara Falls since 1850. Do you know that it erodes two feet a year? Now, you can go to Niagara Falls, and you can stand there, and you can watch it, but you'll never see the erosion. It's over time that we see it now look like this. It used to be straight across, but now look at it after it's been eroded over time. It's the thousand little decisions that erode our foundation, and we end up looking at our life from an aerial view going, how did this happen? Because I made something else my authority. I ignored all the warning signs. I just bought the cigarette carton. I didn't even listen to the general, the surgeon general's warning. And here's Samuel trying to step in as a spiritual authority and they choose not to listen. Look at verse 19 as we close. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Samuel had heard all the words of the people. He repeated them in the ears of the Lord. He goes to God again in prayer. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice, make him a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. The people ignored their godly parents. They have neglected the providence of prayer and the provision of the prophet. They've rejected his leadership. You're old. And now they refuse his counsel. They want what they want. Be careful what you ask for. Because God gives it to them. And if we ignore all of the warnings, 
If we ignore all of the guidelines, God just may give you what you're asking for. And you're going to learn the lessons the Israelis learned. That if we place another authority in our life other than the Lord, all that authority is going to do is take from our lives. So my prayer for you is that you're like Samuel. You heard it better said by Danny than me. He went to God once. He went to God twice. He went to God three times. He wanted to make sure I got to be guided by you. I don't want what I want. I want what you want. He prayed your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Samuel? Oh, Samuel, he sent the people away. He wasn't going to make any decision right there on the spot. He wasn't going to be like them and be hasty because hasty decisions are usually bad decisions. He sends them away because he wants to hear from God. Gang, be careful what you ask for. Listen to the warnings and the guidelines that God has given us. It's better to trust. Listen, gang, the guidance of godly parents, the peace that comes through prayer, And the spiritual authority, the prophets that God has placed in our life because God wants to give you abundant life. He doesn't want to take from your life. He so loves us, he wants to give.